Yes, Lord. Welcome to another episode of the Folding Chair Podcast. I'm your host, Osiris Bali. I got a quote. Check it out. If we talk about literacy, we have to talk about how to enhance our children's mastery over the tools needed to live intelligent, creative, and involved lives. That's a quote from Danny Glover. Oh, you like? I got another one for you. Check it out. Libraries store the energy that fuels the imagination. They open up windows to the world and inspire us to explore and achieve and contribute to improving our quality of life. Now that quote from Cindy Sheldon. This episode, we get into how we protect our libraries, book bands, and why it's so important to encourage our youth to read more. Okay, you can't censor the truth. Special guest, Tiffany Fontenot. Let's go. What up, what up, what up? Welcome to another episode of the Folding Chair Podcast, powered by the people. Hey, it's going to be another dope episode. So much going on in the world right now, and we're going to pop things off with another dope guest. Y'all show love to Tiffany Fontenot. How you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. Yo, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast on this platform, and you know, I'm excited for the people to get to know a little bit more about you and also myself. But before we get things going, it's always proper to pop it off with pick six. That's six random questions for you. So the listeners and me can learn a little bit more about you. Is that cool? That's cool. <laughs> All right. So question number one, pick six. Tell me, what's one of your favorite uh, memories as far as sports? Oh, I'm from Cleveland, so <laughs> it always, the heartache comes first, but then I know my favorite memory is when LeBron brought the championship back home to Cleveland. That has to be the ultimate, you know, Cleveland memory in terms of sports. Right. You, you, a, you a Cleveland Browns fan too, I assume. Always. I have to be. Always. Dog pound, right? That's right. <laughs> Already. All right, cool. LeBron in the first championship. Definitely dope moment. All right, question number two, pick six. Tell me, what is your ideal vacation destination? Any beach, mm. just listening to the waves and doing absolutely nothing. That's what That would be my favorite. Got you, got you. Beach is definitely nice. Mm -hmm. All right, so question number three, pick six. What do you probably forget the most if you are traveling, like rushing to the airport or just anything? What is the thing that you forget the most, you think? Um, pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> probably the one thing I always forget. <laughs> yep. All right. All right. Question number four, pick six. <laughs> what is your do you have what is your favorite or do you have a favorite like comic strip? And if you if you do uh, elaborate, your favorite comic strip. Um, that would be Boondocks for sure. 
Um, the first time I read a Boondocks comic, I actually had the the compilation. I couldn't believe this is before the cartoon even came about. This blew my mind. I was like, where was this when I was younger? If you have not read those, go back and read some of those earlier uh, Boondocks um, books that they have out that they that are from the comic strips. They are amazing. Yeah, you know, uh, that's actually my favorite too. And I remember when those when they first came in the comic strip form, mm -hmm. I was like, whoa. I was like looking at that like, this is like some new artistic, like styling in the uh, yes. comic strip. And I was like, I know these people got to yes. be black drawing this. You know what I'm saying? The way he made a like black anime. That's he. He to me, he was like the one. I mean, they, we have Brother Man and stuff like that, but which is a great comics. If you don't know anything about Brother Man comics, that's what set it off. But Boondocks is the one for real. Yo, I definitely agree with you on that. Shout out to Aaron McGruder and the Boondocks. Great, great, great information right there. All right, moving right along. Question number five, pick six. Okay, it's the weekend. You don't have to go to work on Monday. So think about it like this. It's the weekend. You got a three-day weekend, and you're getting ready to go out Friday night with the homies, friends, family, all of that. You have a three-day weekend plan for kicking it. Tell me, what is Tiffany's soundtrack look like for the weekend, music vibe-wise? Always some Nas. Whose Ooh. world is this? That one just gets, you know, that just opens you up. That song, for some reason, just, that's, that's li liberating to me is that song. So I always like that one. And then I like to um, chill a little bit with some, I'm old school R&B, like Neo Soul. So I like Groove Theory. So I like some of their their stuff, a foreign exchange, stuff like that. So I'm like a, a chill R&B uh, hip hop head. Mm -hmm. That's dope. That's dope. I told you before that Daz is my favorite MC. So yes. I'm glad to hear that. And <laughs> for some reason this past weekend, uh, I was just thinking about her underappreciated. You said groove theory, so I'm thinking about a meal of rue. Yes. How much of her music I love, and how I feel like she's underappreciated, or I can say underappreciated. Maybe not always acknowledged when we start talking about singers and vocalists. I don't see her name mentioned a lot, but she's definitely one of my favorites too. Yes. Yeah, and you and you know, uh, little brother, which is you know uh, kind of half a foreign exchange. They just release some new music too so i'm a big fonte fan as well so i love fonte he's another one who's not who's not pumped up the way i think he should be yeah yeah most definitely we we had these conversations all the time about who's the best in the south and who's the best east coast west coast midwest and i think people kind of forget about the carolinas because they like what are they east coast south you know what i'm saying so we don't hear a lot of con conversations about fonte but he is definitely one of the dopest lyricists, and I like Nicolay too as a producer. So you got some good music taste, in my opinion. All right. <laughs> well, that's pick six. You know, saying clap it up for yourself. You didn't made it through just like every other guest so far. And yeah. you know, I put the pajamas thing, but that's okay. I kept it real. <laughs> oh, look, look, and I didn't jump ahead. I asked you five questions and forgot my sixth question for you that quick. So okay. That was five. So pick six. Ah, oh, it was my first time ever doing that. So pick six. Uh, final question. 
if I were to catch you at any type of a conference, any type of conference, what conference would you most likely be like attending for not only just business, but also pleasure and leisure, you know, saying something that you would attend? What kind of conference would that be? The American Library Association. That I love that because it always, um, I get to see the latest books that are coming out. I get to meet some cool authors and I get to see the work that librarians are doing in their community especially some of the black librarians, because I don't get to see them as much. There's such a small population of us. So mm -hmm. I get to see what they're doing in their communities and they're doing amazing things that are really never publicized like it should be, but it's to see the work and to try to figure out how to, you know, do better to reach, you know, literacy and things like that within the black community and, and elsewhere. So that, that would be my main one. Got you. That's dope. So I, I definitely, uh, I need to, Every once in a while, just pick your brain about which books I should be looking coming up. Uh, I should be expecting soon, and which books I need to be, you know, checking out on my calendar. So, yes, <laughs> most definitely. All right, well, now nah, we can clap it up for the pick six, and uh, you know, what I'm saying I'm gonna get into a little introduction of what I have from you, and then you know, we'll get into the questions. So, uh, Tiffany Fontenot, creator, educator, librarian. Literacy and curriculum activist and student, Tiffany has worked at the classroom as a teacher, school librarian, and a technology teacher. She currently works in higher education in academic leadership. She's taught children's literature in higher education and is an active member of the American Library Association. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fano earned a doctorate in leadership of organi organizations program at the University of Dayton School of Education and Health Sciences. And Tiffany is, of course, from Cleveland, Ohio. And yes. you already know she loves her hometown and she's rooting for all the hometown teams. Oh. Well, Tiffany, like, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um. Yeah, so I my my thing, I think, my life is just pretty much driven by um, being curious. And I think that's how I got to this place. I've always been a curious kid. always want to know the answers to stuff. I wasn't always the best, like, academically, but I was always curious. So I think it's just in this path of understanding what's going on around me. And I think that's how I got to where I currently am now. I'm currently a director um, of a library at Vanderbilt University, the education library. And right now my um, main emphasis is finding out how I can get our kids to love reading, help them find the perfect book that will help them be creative, to help them recognize themselves and um, help them with get where they need to go, you know? Cool, cool. And so, like, you know, uh, I, I've had the pleasure of hearing you speak a couple, on a couple of different occasions. And, you know, uh, one thing that I want to just kind of start off with is, like, just know, learning more about you and your youth and, you know, saying becoming an adult. Like, how often or how intricate of a part were libraries a part of your childhood and young adulthood? Um, I would say they were a big part of that. I, I would say that my mom took me to the library a lot. I, 
I had books around me, but I was more visual. Like I like the visual aspect of it. Um, I was always reading things that I was curious about. I love music a lot. So I would read a lot of, you know, um, write on magazines and stuff like that about new edition and everything. I knew so much about musicians and music and stuff like that growing up. But um, I think it helped me um, um, answer questions that like of things going on around the world. I always wanted to understand what was happening more around in the world around me. I was never stuck in like what's in front of me. So I'm, I was always curious about like, what is it like in England? What is it like in Africa? What is it like in these places? So I was always curious about stuff like that. I wasn't the strongest academically in school. I think looking back now, I know I had ADHD and as a girl, it, it surfaces differently than it does for boys. Mm -hmm. So I think that I wasn't the strongest student, but I like to read what I like to read. I like to read about, you know, like, like I said, music and some sports stuff. I love biographies. Um, because it helped me, it helped me figure out how people act. Even I didn't realize that that's what that was. That's what it. I was trying to figure out, but that was one of the things. Um, I, I didn't really have a lot of readers around me. Like my dad read the paper. That's the most regularity I saw reading in my house. Um, but in my school, um, I moved from the hood to the suburbs, so like I had that gap because my schooling was different. So I was a little behind, but I still, you know, um, I I wasn't maybe as um, like interested in the classics and things like that, because the, the things that they had in my school in the suburbs did not relate to me. So I think that's why I'm, I might've even fallen further behind in school, but I know I liked what I liked and I did learn based on the things that I liked, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, you know, I look at it, you know, what I'm saying a little bit different than a lot of people because I always, uh, I'm always rooting for like you know libraries and our students who take an interest in reading, you know, what I'm saying just trying to encourage them, hoping they, hopefully, just by reading it helps them diversify their interests. Mm -hmm. And so for you, um, when did you make that decision that you said, hey, I, I think I want to be a librarian? I, w I graduated, um, I went to Clark Atlanta University and then I finished up at home and then um, I had a degree in history and I wanted to work in museums uh, and do like black history stuff in museums. I was really for the first time in my life getting back into my culture because like I went to school, like I said, in the suburbs and I really realized what I was missing when I learned more about myself, I was uh, more interested in learning so I wanted to kind of do that and I realized that I needed a degree in like um, librarian or museum studies so I ended up getting a degree in librarianship because I thought that would help me kind of bridge the gap between museum and libraries but so I did that and um, I worked in a library in East Cleveland Ohio which was great surrounded by black librarians which is very rare in in a black community so I got to see the best of the best in terms of serving the community um, that way. And um, I got offered a job in higher ed after that because I figured that's where a lot of 
the research, the practice goes on. So if I could get in that space and understand how that worked, then I could take that information and take it back to where people needed it to use what they needed to use, because there's a lot of gatekeeping, you know, within higher ed, or there's this divide where all this research is happening, but it doesn't get to where it needs to go. So I ended up working in a lot of higher education places, but always using that information to take it back to the neighborhood. Word, word, word. And that and that's dope. That's dope to hear, you know, saying your inspiration behind um, how you became a librarian. And so um, I know there's a lot of talk in our communities, you know, uh, recently, I, you know, I, I hate seeing stuff like this, but at the same time, it's, it's like a learning um it's a it's a it's a mechanism to learn for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we always talk about how you know literacy rates is dropping, and you know saying if we don't know if it's the schools failing us, if the parents failing us. But I kind of always look at it like it's a uh, us as a community. We have to look out for each other, yes. and so uh, you know we can't put one hundred percent of it on the parents. We can't put one hundred percent of it on schools. You know, we have to make it inclusive and a collaborative effort. Yes. And so uh, I saw a meme where somebody put up a spelling test of another kid next uh, next to what the teacher gave the words for the spelling test. And it was just all, everything was misspelled. Some of it you could see the words were uh, like, you know, sounding it out and they're trying to spell it. And then some of it just looked like, I don't know how they came to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Regardless, you know what I'm saying, we need to make efforts to improve that. And so, in your opinion, what advice would you give to uh, like community members and leaders to help improve literacy rates? Like that it has to be done as a community. We have mm-hmm. to start turning inwards and looking at our community leaders and figure out how can we like learn enough, learn literacy to spread literacy. Mm-hmm. You know, if we have these teachers that are leaving the profession, why not try to, you know, like use them in a space where they're not bogged down by bureaucratic stuff and get them to help us, you know, within our communities. We need our churches. We need our our, our black organizations. We need um, everybody to kind of like chip, chip in. We need some of our older folks. I mean, if you could read, you could do a read aloud somewhere. What I found is that like kids really, especially young kids, when they're young, learning to read, they really want somebody to talk to about that. And our culture of reading really isn't communal as it should be. If you look in the past when we had our most success, when, when um, uh, you know, like learning was only in our communities, we taught each other to read. We, you mm-hmm. know, like shared information and books and we talked, you know, like talked about learning and stuff like that. Where did that go? We need to bring it back again. I think we can't succeed depending upon folks who halfway want to teach us. We can't, we can't do it that way. We know how important it is for us. And we have to start thinking of ways to like create community literacy and community advocacy for literacy and create start creating those plans locally. No doubt, no doubt. And a lot of it to me, I agree with everything you said. Uh, a lot of it to me is, I think, you know, a lot of um, a lot of our youth initiatives, a lot of our, uh, you know, churches, and, and even like the after school programs that are in, you know, 
spaces where, you know, the kids are learning uh, through different methods, I'll say. And even in our summer programs, uh, there is a need. A lot, a lot of times there's, there's uh, either one or two, you know what I'm saying? Either one, we got the funding mm-hmm. and no direction. And then two, it's like we got all the direction and little funding. And so on this, I'm not going to ask you about how to fundraise because I know that's like probably something that that's not what you're looking at doing. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, as far as like curriculum building, I think a lot of times we have great ideas, but the curriculum isn't there to engage that young person. Uh, I had a a conversation the other day uh, where basically we talked about the difference in elementary middle school and high school. And in elementary, we a lot of our teachers uh, learn the information and also learn how to teach. Mm-hmm. But it seems that the more, the higher you get into middle school and high school, it's just, they know the information and they just give it to you and they don't know how to teach you. So like, what are, what are some tips that you think you can give to somebody who is trying to build a curriculum that encourages more reading and diversifying your topics and reading and subject matters that's also engaging with the youth all right find what they like Uh, you know like you always have to find what they like and sometimes it'll be something that looks like themselves and something it'll sometimes it'll be about actually their interests i had a kid who liked NASCAR, a black kid that liked NASCAR. So you know what? I'm going to get him some books on NASCAR. And when mm-hmm. we learn to count, we're going to use cars. You know what I mean? Like, And the thing is, though, that as kids get older, you have less and less teachers of color. So they don't know how to relate as much as something that I learned is called cultural discontinuity. And it can be applied to anything. Mm-hmm. But it's like these groups are speaking different languages. And you really have to understand you know, like how each other speaks and learns. And that just goes along with interest. So when you're in high school, maybe you need to learn like some hip hop pedagogy. Maybe you need to learn how to create, you know, like, you know, the triangle that that goes on in these gossip circles of things and apply it to stuff. Like apply what happened um, to, to, to like Megan the Stallion and her court case, apply it to the you know, like um, native son or apply it to these things, like find different parallels where you can relate things from one to another and relate the plight of black men to certain things or so that they can relate to it. Anything can happen. I could take redlining and apply that to like math. I can take, we just have to think more creatively about things that are happening around us in our community to number one, enlighten and just relate. So, you know, you have to do both. Like, so you have to relate it to them, but you also have to bring in things that like they need to know about because it's it's things that they're going to end up seeing. And it's like, how can these students have a voice within that? And when they find their voice within those things, that's when they start really attaching to it. So it's like making it responsive, making it so that it's enlightening and like finding what their voice is within those positions. And all our voices aren't going to be the same, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know. No, yeah, I definitely feel where you're coming from, and you know, uh, you you hit it on the nail right from the beginning. In in my uh, opinion, you know, what I'm saying 
ask them what they ask them what they like, you know, saying so pay attention to the things they like. Uh, because you know, uh, <laughs> like when I was in the lot, the library was a, a place for me. Like it was like my social club. It was my, uh, it was my internet before the internet was popping like that. You know, what I'm saying it was everything. You know, what I'm saying everything, but you know, what I'm saying a place I could wake up and go to sleep in. But uh, you know, what I'm saying um, I think a lot of times we forget that. You know, we grew up ordering books and getting to pick those books from the book orders and going to the book fairs and, you know, having a little money to go find something you like to read. And we think now, you know what I'm saying, like with this, I guess, the uh, progression of technology, you know, we don't we don't think about books as much a lot of times, but we forget that there's other ways and avenues to right. encourage our children to read, um, yeah. whether it be magazines or um, our cars, sports cars. I mean, like, think yeah. about all that data and information on the back of sports cars. Yeah. The who knows that is a mathematician and data analysis, and we never give them that credit for it, right? Oh, that yeah. who, who searches the internet for, you know, the, you know, the top score in this or that, encourage that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, I definitely feel you because I can remember back then, you know, the guys could quote off the stats of somebody off the back oh. of the car, tell you hometown, college, everything about that person because they were a fan of it and they memorized those cards. You just spent time sometimes just looking at your cards and just going through there to make sure they was in good condition and checking information on it. So like, yeah. They could it, compare and contrast. I mean, think about all the skills that in, in teaching, we make academic, you know, comparing contrast, you know, like, and data analysis and all this stuff. That's exactly what they're doing. And we never give them the credit for those things. And we never think about how can we relate that to learning, you know, yeah. like in the classroom. Yeah. And so, yeah, I definitely feel you because that's something that we need to start, you know, encouraging more, like giving them the title at a young age. Like yep. if you're a mathematician, let's let's call it what it what it is. If you're a historian, if you're right. an author, let's start calling it what it is, young, so they get that in their mind that you know this is part of the, the tools necessary to become that uh and 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 be that person in your career, you know what I'm saying? So and they already have it, right? <laughs> yeah, you gotta speak it on them for real. Mm -hmm. Like uh you mentioned earlier how you know you're a fan of RB and hip hop, and that's something that's, you know, you're passionate about. Have you seen ways to implement hip hop, R&B, or art in, in lesson plans? Most definitely. Yeah. You could take, if I, if I can, if I present any phenomena or instance that happens in history, and I ask like, like a student of music, like what, what song or applies most to this? What hip hop lyric applies to this feeling, this thought, this moment, this historical moment? I guarantee you a kid can do it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But yet we don't try to relate those things to, we don't try to relate a love triangle to Shakespeare. We don't try, you know what I mean? Like in music and R&B to that. We don't try to relate, you know, like um, feminism to what's happening to women in hip hop. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't we don't think about those things and 
and it's it's such an obvious relationship but again we have teachers who don't know how to make those connections right to make it relevant like I was talking about um Megan Thee Stallion in her court case or whatever but that's a great way to talk about you know did she use you know like hip-hop feminism and the things that happen, you know, like against women for her benefit, was it a love triangle that happened this way? Or did the black man take the fall? And we could talk about issues of that black males have to face within the society. When you're talking about power and who has it and things like that, there's ways to relate in the court systems, especially. So mm-hmm. like can, we can take these instances and bring them into history and classrooms and, and language arts and even some things that have to deal with science and in 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 across disciplines and bring in something that they can relate to within that, you know. Yeah, most definitely. Like you know, we were talking about uh, recently about knowing your rights, yes. um, and you know, doing like workshops around that and different social justice um, campaigns. And one of the first ideas that we came across with from another lawyer that we previously worked with was, you know, we talking about knowing your rights. So we need to teach people how to not break the law. And you know what I'm saying? And we turned on a a popular rap song and we said, we listened to, we said, told everybody, listen to the lyrics. And, you know, did your youth and adults start listening to the lyrics? And after we said, how many times did you hear them break the law? Mm. song you know so how many times you hear them snitching themselves and they said something illegal and we recounted it back we played it again and this time they listened to it purposely just to write it down and take notes on it and that was just a whole like experience right there listening to music two different ways educating ourselves on it at the same time so like there's definitely opportunities and i and i and i I hope to see more implement hip-hop implemented in our classrooms and art implement it because it's a way to educate yourself for sure art too most definitely and and just even to be exposed to like art and the different artists that we have out there that have reflected these movements that we're going through and you know like historically I think another thing too like to lend to your example about like learning how the laws are broken not just to go through and show them you know, that exercise, but actually show them where the laws are located because mm-hmm. the stuff is available. Look and see what's there. You know, so you when you go through these things, you know what's happening. That's a lot of things, too, is that like we don't know where the information is to, you know, to like mm-hmm. validate ourselves and to to make sure that we're in the right or wrong on something. The information most of the time, especially when it's dealing with the government, is available, freely available or at your library so that you know what you, you know, like you're dealing with. You can find the data that can show how many people are getting, you know, like um, arrested in your area and things like that. See, see what that looks like. Again, that's math, that's social studies. You know, you bring in law into all of that, that that's happening right within their area. Yeah. Most definitely, most definitely. So yeah, it, it's so many ways that we could uh, mm-hmm. teach through music. I call it like liberation arts because we educate them. Yes. It's a platform to educate and give them a therapeutic outlet. And uh, I, I hope to see more curriculums that are using creative ways like music and art to educate youth in the classroom because they learn it through that every day. And you know what I'm saying? Because I know some kids that are personally arguing you down 
uh, about an, a historical event based on a one minute, two minute TikTok video. Mm. And, you know what I'm saying? But they are on TikTok not only be entertained, but they are, you know what I'm saying, learning too as well. Um, yes. And I, I think a, another point about that too is that it also encourages those kids that are artists that don't have the means to like be in these particular art programs, show them that they can be that artist that they see on the wall doing these different things too. That's another way to be an activist, mm-hmm. you know, through these different means, through music, through art, through dance, through all these different things that you see on TikToks and in museums, you know? Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. I'm going I'm to jump topics here just a little bit, but not really, because it all applies. But, you know, here lately, uh, in particular here in Arkansas, we've been dealing with a lot of issues around uh, censorship and uh, book bans here mm-hmm. in Arkansas. And so, like, um, being that, you know, you're in this field on a daily basis, and uh, we had an act uh, going to law here in um, under the Huckabee Sanders administration, Act 372, uh, went into law in March, making Arkansas uh, the largest state to introduce criminal charges for librarians or booksellers when they deem the material to be harmful or obscene. And mm-hmm. uh, so fast forward to this summer, I got to see you speak at the Signature Arkansas Library System, and a friend of mine brought herself and her children there and her children's friends there. And we were just talking afterwards about book bands with them. So they get an understanding of like what the, what these book bands look like. Cause it's not all harmful and obscene material that's getting banned. Um, no. A lot of times it, it, that doesn't even apply. Right. Uh, one of the, one of the young ladies was, up, was upset to see the Captain Underpants. That book had been, put on the book ban list as obscene right <laughs> as obscene and we right. were like not this pg series yeah. on netflix you know what i'm saying right. but uh for the person that doesn't understand what like what these book bans are all about what would you, what could what would you tell them basically so what happened to us what's what's happening is that there's a lot more truth telling historically happening within children's literature. Um, There was a time when you could barely see children of color in books. Mm -hmm. And what's happened is that um, publishing has responded to the need and we, they have opened the doors to historical truths from, you know, different um, groups, right? And especially in the black community, we have had some amazing books and truth telling that has been happening. And when you have a book like Stamped, you know, um, from Ibram Kim, um, Kendi and um, Jason Reynolds and things like that, that talk about the power differentials and what has happened to us as minoritized people is out there for everybody to read. It's not just in our community anymore. You know, our books used to only stay within our our community and were our, you know, like the titles that we knew, right. but now everybody has exposure to these books so now they're questioning well why did you redline well why did you segregate well why did all these things happen and so now people are asking questions you know like out of accountability to understand why and to change things and that's making um conservative people 
concerns. So when they first started these book bans, it started with because of the um, 16, 19 and kind of like their version of a clap back to that by saying that we're shutting down um, critical race theory. And it was never critical race theory that's happening in schools. What mm -hmm. was happening was something that we were talking about earlier where white teachers realized that if they have books that look like the kids that they're teaching, especially if they're teaching black and brown kids or otherwise, that they would be more into it because they see themselves. So they were bringing these histories and stories into the classroom. And then that's when it became a problem because now kids are saying, well, no, my history starts in Africa, not as mm -hmm. a, my history is, this, you know, like is this way in some reason, because the dominant culture would not allow me to be this or do this or kept my community in these ways. And these books are telling that truth. So they have an issue with that. And so they first started suppressing our books and that became an issue or black books. And then they realized that kind of, you can do that, but you can't because, you know, it seems like a little illogical. So then we'll just go for the LGBTQ Q community and start saying that things are over-sexualized because that's more of an attention grabber if we do that. So like we're in this quandary of like um, black people, especially an LGBTQ community fighting for their lives to be represented in this American history, you know, but it's there and they talk about indoctrinating, but why is only one dominant voice allowed? To me, that's indoctrination, you know, mm -hmm. let all these histories be told and let people decide for themselves. That's what this America is about not that single conservative population deciding how to indoctrinate us with only having their history presented. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's a lot going on. Like you mentioned, the 1619 Project and this whole um, debate over is critical race theory being taught in our schools. And we know, like you mentioned, that it's not being taught in uh, any elementary through high school setting. It's a graduate course um, right. in universities and college. It's a course being taught in law school. So if you got, you know, eight and nine year olds and you think they're getting critical race theory, you must have an exceptional child that is in <laughs> higher education way right. sooner than, you know, most people, <laughs> the average person goes. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, you know, we're talking about like the book bans here in Arkansas has like really started to impact a lot of uh, different social justice campaigns. Uh, you got people who are actually sharing the book bands, the banned book lists and trying to make sure that people have access to these uh, tools that they want to go read these yeah. books, that they want to collect them. Um, and it's also brought a lot of the youth out to speak up and talk about you know the things that they want to see in their education, and one of the ways that they um, you know pushed back was you know the there was also an executive order here signed in Arkansas on the first day of, of Governor Huckabee Sanders, uh, her first day in office. Technically, she signed a executive order to ban critical race theory in schools, and wow. you know that 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 was I think done as a performative. Yes. deal and to get the cameras out and you know get her some attention uh for doing something like that and, and she copied from the playbook of people like the governor in, in florida as well 
but it was great to see the youth speak out. Like uh, yeah. they, they, that executive order put the AP African American History course in jeopardy in our state that had only been introduced last year. So this is the second year of the pilot uh pilot course, and the students spoke up. They they kept on signing up for class, kept on showing up, and as of right now, every school that has that course is um continuing to teach it with a, a, a full classroom with the support of their school districts and the parents and the administration. That's amazing. It it always kind of trips me out. How does somebody like Sarah Huckabee who went to Central High, how does, you know, like, did she learn nothing? You know <laughs> what I mean? It just, it, it kills me. I can't believe, because I was looking her up. I was like, wait, she went to Central High School. Did she not see the pictures and images? of what you know like inevitably people from her past and and you know her community did to a certain group of folks and to not teach black history so that this doesn't repeat itself again like does she thinks that's okay that's yeah. what i have a problem understanding yeah and and that's why one of the reasons why you know uh the little rock nine they mm -hmm. have been very vocal about um, this current government, state government, trying to hide the history and her being somebody that graduated from Central High and seeing and knowing the history through uh, the books, the pictures and everything of the desegregation in 1957, it just goes to show you that even when we are teaching the history of what's going on in our communities, how it's still under attack and it's threatened by the people who are in the room, you yep. know? Um, and, you know, so, so we, you know, I got to give a shout out to everybody that has helped keep, continue to champion that and continue to support those students. Uh, the themes that they teach in that AP African-American course, uh, they learn their history all the way back, starts with the African diaspora. It talks about themes of uh, resilience and, uh, things about it talks about all of the violence that happened and what we have to do to repair that and so uh like in your opinion um what advice would you give to young people students in particular who uh who want to advocate to make better policies for education and libraries please write blog posts write your local newspapers, create videos talking about how ridiculous this is, you know, make TikToks, um, actually get a group of y'all and go talk to your local city representatives, talk to your school board, even say, what are you doing to help me be, learn about this world so that I can go out in this place and make it better? Ask the local school boards. I think once they start hearing from kids, about how much these books mean to them and how they can relate to these books or how much these books show them how to think critically and, and show it in different ways. Like I said, um, the best way to do it is in groups or through the media and they know how to work the media. So use it to yeah. your advantage. Actually go and talk to your local politicians what politician in his right mind is going to turn away some students who care about learning? Please tell me, 
because I needed to be videotaped because they will look stupid, right? Kids will put the pressure on folks to really think about the decisions that they are making. Look, and I and you know what? Without giving out giving out too much detail, thank you for that advice. Uh students, you gotta understand that your voice is just yeah. as powerful, if not more powerful, than the adults in the room. Uh, you know, um your voice when you stand up and you are engaged and you speak, everybody has to pay attention because they don't expect it a lot of time from our children. You know, saying to be as engaged and to be thinking about, you know, how they could be assets in the world and be leaders for social change. But, you know, we have to pay attention to our students. And I'm going to send you a video of when our students went to the Capitol this uh, current 2023 legislative session. And yes, those those in the room tried to shut those kids down and they look stupid. Exactly. <laughs> or of that. And, and, and please form book clubs, find those books, talk about it. You know, like, um, talk about what the book meant to you. I remember when I read The Bluest Eye the first time. Word. The main thing I got from that, because I was in the suburbs when it happened, was like, okay, I understand why my skin color is an issue now. I get it. it you know what I mean? It's like, this was put upon me. My skin color has always been beautiful. It's just that other people have made it bad not me. And that's the, the one thing I got from that book, not the other issues that causes to be banned, what the story was about in terms of understanding yourself, because not only did that book get to me, but also the author was where I was from. Mm. So it meant even more. So please tell those stories, write and talk about how much these books mean to you and mm -hmm. what they've done for your life, because that's another thing that's going to trip them up because half of these people aren't even reading these books. They really aren't, you know what I'm saying? They are, they are basically, you know, piggybacking off each other and trying to, like I say, censor what our children and what we have available in these libraries under the guise of, it's it's racist or it's inappropriate when in actuality it is uh what we need it's it's things that start conversations it's yes. an accurate account of history uh it is exposing hatred bigotry uh discrimination all of those things yep. um I got another question for you. If you know what I'm saying, if you don't mind, and then I'm gonna close oh things out. <laughs> I'm gonna close things out. You know, mm -hmm. I'm a big, you know, we had a whole conversation about this, but I'm a big, big uh fan of libraries. And mm -hmm. uh to protect your profession, the things that you stand for, and to protect these buildings, these libraries what are some things that our community members can do that, you know, so they can take it upon themselves to organize around and make sure that we are protecting our libraries and protecting our right to learn. Again, use the media to talk about how the library has helped you. The library has helped you get a job. The library has helped you write your resume. The library has helped you find health information. The library has helped you with your hobbies. The library has helped you, you know, like, find a video or movie that you like, 
The library provides you with music. The library can help you from the day you enter this world to the day you leave. In some way, shape, or form, the library will always support you freely. They are trying to defund libraries. Make your voice known about how libraries have helped you in every way, shape, or form possible. Talk about what that librarian did to recommend books to you that you didn't even know about. You know, and talk about how that librarian helped you with your resume or helped you learn to speak English or help you, you know, um, find a job somewhere because we are all that every step of the way that you go through your life, the library can support self-help books, everything. Make sure you're using your library. Make sure that you speak out to um, the, the library board, the local government about how important the library is this is the last free space in the mm -hmm. United States is your library. The day they defund those, you are on your own in terms of being able to access thought, diverse thought, right? Yeah. It's the last place. So you have to step up and step up for these librarians who are risking their jobs and their livelihoods to make sure that you have information available to you to succeed. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And everything, ditto to everything you said about the libraries, you know, this is the place where, you know, you're working on your resume, your cover letter, you need to print off some copies real quick. You ain't got a copy at home. Our libraries do a lot for our youth, after school care programs, you know, saying yep. they feeding them for free, yep. you know, saying for the unhoused community, it's a cool place to go in the middle of the summer. And a warm place to go sit in during the during the daytime in the in the middle of the of the winter. So you know what I'm saying it's a lot going on and and and, and they are taken care of by our tax dollars. Even more reason right. for you know what I'm saying uh, us to support libraries. You know I'm always saying you know when we put our tax dollars down, that's you know what I'm saying that gives me more of a right to question and ask and complain and advocate for any of these, these things because it comes out of your tax dollars, you know what I'm saying? Your hard-earned money. That's and, right. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about a couple of couple of books that's been challenged to ban. You mentioned earlier The Bluest Eye, that's on the list. Uh, the Color Purple, Beloved, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Well, Beloved, that's written by uh, Toni Morrison. Let me, let me slow down a little bit. And Alice Walker wrote the color purple, go tell it on a mountain by James Baldwin. It's so many different books that are like uh, classics, you know what I'm saying? In our, uh, in our new classics, like new kid by Jerry craft. Like how many books talk about the day in the life of a black suburban kid and what he has to go through. Like Word. that's, important. you know, we, we are not all in one place. So those things are all American boys by Jason Reynolds. That yeah. book's important. All boys aren't blue by George Johnson. These books are all important. Ruby Bridges books. This is our time. She right. wrote this book for young people and it's banned because she knows what that voice is for these young people. And they are trying to suppress that. Get that book, make it popular. Talk about what it means to you. I'm telling you, the young people will make the difference in this movement. You heard it. You heard it. Hey, we at the end of this episode, so it's time to unplug the microwave. I want to thank Tiffany Fontenot for being here, for dropping all the jewels that she dropped today. Uh, but we're going to unplug the microwave just for a quick second. 
we always think that in our society that change happens quickly. We think one viral post will make the whole community change or inspire everybody or one tweet, one email. We've gotten accustomed to thinking that change needs to happen quick in this microwave society. But we understand that some things we got to continue to fight for because it's going to end up helping our grandchildren or their children. So uh, unplug your microwave for a split second with me. In your opinion, as a as Black people in our communities, what can we do to encourage and ensure that more Black boys and Black girls become librarians in our future? Have them talk to librarians and see what it's like, expose them to what the career is, expose them to how to get there. And um, you can email me for tiffany.fontenot at vanderbilt.edu. Ask me if you're curious. I would love to tell you about how to become a librarian. It's so important. You provide the bridge to knowledge, to questions, to things that you're curious about and interest. That's what a librarian does. I would love to help somebody, you know, like see that this is something they're interested in and find ways to make it happen. Word, word, you know what I'm saying? So, hey, when we're talking about careers, making sure we're not leaving out librarians. I, I'm in total agreement with you. I had a black librarian who looked out for me as a young boy and made sure that I found all the things I wanted to in the library and looked out for me too. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like a mother in the library. And she did that for all, I wasn't special. She did that for all the black children that came in there and we learned a lot from her. So, hey, yo, I appreciate you, Tiffany, for being here. Uh, before before we clock out, is there are there any announcements that you wanna make or any last messages you wanna give to the people? Yes, if you are interested in learning more about how to fight against censoring books, please go to uniteagainstbookbans.org and sign up so that you can get the latest information about what's going on and how to advocate within your neighborhood. That's uniteagainstbookbans.org. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for dropping that. And we're going to share that in our in our um in our show description for this podcast episode too. So if you didn't catch it all, we're going to make sure we put it in the show description and people all over, you know what I'm saying, that's uh, listening right now can share that information. Once again, I appreciate you, Tiffany Fontenot, for being here with us. This is another dope episode of the Folding Chair Podcast. Until next time, peace and bless your life. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Folded Chair Podcast. Hey, some of my fondest memories growing up was being in my local public library. It was a safe space and a place that nurtured my imagination and embraced my originality. So I'm in this with one more quote for y'all. Bad libraries build collections. Good libraries build services. Great libraries build communities. That's R. David Lankis. Hey, I hope y'all enjoyed this podcast with Tiffany Fontenot. 
just as she reminded y'all, we should trust individuals to make their own decisions. Raise your voice for everyone's freedom to read. Go to uniteagainstbookbans.org and use your voice to support and protect our libraries and our librarians. Till next time, peace.